Father, we come once again before you on a Sunday morning, and we thank you for each soul that is here present. We ask now that you would work in each of our lives. Lord, we thank you for these great hymns that we've sung and the others that are yet to be sung, that you would accept them as an offering of praise to your goodness and your grace. Lord, only through your word can we know that we're saved and have any assurance of an eternity with you. Lord, we ask that during the preaching you would give clarity and simplicity to bring forth the truths that are in your word. And Lord, during the time of invitation, that not one of us would withhold from you the offering for which you are so worthy. That is the surrender of our all to you. Lord, we pray for the offering, the special music. Lord, every part of this service that it would bring glory to you and your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And, of course, if that blessed your heart, that is the best response that you can give. It's just simple amen. Praise to the Lord. Take your Bibles, if you wouldn't, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We'll get there in just a few moments. I thought I would finish the entire sermon I had prepared for last Sunday, last Sunday morning, but only got about halfway through it. And uh, so we're going to try to finish that this morning. Amen. And so I want to just give a little bit of, uh, of review so that uh, we can make sure that we're all together here on, on the um, same page and, and following the thoughts here. And... Uh, the, the first, the title of the overall message is just simply Choose Christ. And uh, there, there does have to be a choice that is made. Um, I was talking with a man uh, on visitation last week, and, and uh, he was uh, going over all of these things. And, of course, he did not believe the Bible or anything in the Bible and, and yet one of the points that he was trying to make was God has given us a free will to a point that where God becomes responsible for sin. And uh, that's simply human reasoning applied to the Scriptures. A, a choice that is not a choice is not a choice. Amen. Uh, we have people here that used to live under the domination of the Soviet, uh, the Iron Curtain. And uh, you did have to show up to vote. But if you voted for the wrong candidate, there was a goon squad waiting out back to convince you that you should have voted for the right candidate and that you would uh, in, in the future. Uh, I mean, there... There, people always talk about this, and uh, but a choice can't really be a choice unless you can make a decision opposite of that which someone would want. You know, there, as a parent, the greatest desire that you can have fulfilled with your children is that they willingly choose to walk in truth. That, that is the greatest thing that can happen. How many of you are married? 
Aren't you glad that person chose to marry you? That you didn't have to have someone walk up behind them with a gun in their back to make sure they said, I do, and they showed up. I mean, uh, they showed up of their own free will and they actually said, I do, and, and, and have stayed with you. That, those are choices that we make. And choices determine things. And last week we spent the time on choosing the Word of God. You've got to make a choice. In our discipleship, as we go through, that is the first lesson. And the, point, the main point that I tried to bring out in that lesson is where you start determines where you end up. If you refuse to believe that this is the authoritative words of God, you're going to end up at a different place than where our church ends up. That is the choice that we have made as a, choice, as a church. That is a choice that if you're a member, and we'll get on to this in today's sermon, you have made that choice personally. We, we are not here because... This is the place where you're supposed to go to get a better job. I mean, that's a joke. How many people have come? Do you have any jobs available? So well, that's not really what our church is about. Uh, years ago, I had a man come. He said, if you can find me a wife, he says, I'll give you lots of money. And I threw him out. I said, that's not what our church is. He says, you don't understand. I'm a very rich man. He says, I said, you don't understand. This church isn't for hire. This church isn't for you to come and get what you want. This church is about Jesus Christ and what He wants. I mean, that's a choice. And see, when I choose the Bible, there's only one place I can go. The Bible, if you're going to believe it, if you're going to read the words... From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible demands faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? You cannot read this book and not go there. Weeks ago, I dealt with a Muslim man, same thing. And and, uh, I said, now let me just... I said, if I can take a liberty here, I said, I want you to think about something. I said, you were told that the text of our New Testament has been all changed around and is not reliable. He said, yes, that's right. I said, do you know why you were told that? He said, no, tell me why. I said, because if the text of our New Testament is reliable and authoritative, There is absolutely no grounds for the existence of the religion of Islam. What what are you saying? Uh, What I'm saying is, if this book is true, and we believe it is, every foundational keystone that makes the religion of Islam what it is, is destroyed by this book called the Bible. I said, your founders were vested 
They understood this. They had to come up with an answer to the Word of God. If you study history in the Middle Ages, why was the Bible banned by the quote-unquote Christian church? I mean, do you realize in medieval Europe, if you possessed a copy of this book in your language, you were liable to be burnt at the stake and your Bible would be used for kindling. And these were Catholic priests that did this job. Why would a church that called itself Christian burn Bibles in people whose only sin, quote-unquote, was to read this book? Because they understood something. When those Catholic priests started reading this book, they stopped being Catholic priests. That's what the Reformation was all about, was breaking the domination and the powers and I don't mean to re-preach last Sunday's sermon again, but we certainly could. Um, uh, but when you believe the Bible, it's going to bring you to one place. Second point, faith in Jesus Christ. You must choose salvation. Jesus died to pay the price for all sins forever. Read Hebrews chapter 10. But he won't save you unless you ask him. He will not save you without faith. You must believe. Now, how do you get faith? Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Andrew and I were going somewhere and uh, just turned on the radio to get the news. And and they talked about a... um, some famous university had done a study on how that the human being is wired for hearing. That a newborn baby can immediately recognize his mother's voice. Now, you don't have to be a scientist to figure that out. He's been listening to it for the last, or she, for the last nine months. Amen? Uh, They know that voice. And they talked about how that the human genome, the DNA, wired us for hearing. And I said, Andrew, sermon illustration. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And even the scientists figured out that God wired us to listen to things. Isn't that amazing? And yet, if we got all those scientists that did that report, they'd tell me that I didn't know what I was talking about. But see, I know the one that gave them the brains to do the research. Amen? See, the Bible is always true. And if you believe the Bible, if you will accept the words of this Bible for what they are, the the revelation of God to mankind, It tells us about creation. It tells us about the new heavens and the new earth, which will replace the ones that we live on now. The Bible tells us the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end and everything in between that we need to know. Now, does the Bible tell us everything? Absolutely not. In fact, there are some things that God just doesn't tell us. And you know what? People worry about those things that they do not know. So that they have an excuse for not doing the things that they do know about. 
Isn't that the way it works? I remember a group, and, and they're independent Baptist and, and believe the Bible and talk about but they're and I'm not going to give the name or anything, but it's just a group of them who follow a, a, a fairly well-known preacher, especially in their circles. But the whole thing about their existence and what really excites them is the new doctrine. Could I challenge you that from Galatians chapter 1, there is no new doctrine? Paul said, if you change the gospel, let him be accursed. We're going through the book of Galatians on Thursday nights. You see, you know what one of their new doctrines was? Do you know what the spiritual significance of the number nine is? This is good. This will help you. What's one plus six Plus one, plus one. Anybody got the answer? Nine, that's it, you got it. How many people got it? Good. No, what they say is the year 1611, the numerical value is nine, and so nine is the number of the Bible. How many of you are blessed by that little bit of information? They were so excited about it, they were passing around in emails to each other, and everyone you met said, I, I know what the number nine means now. Yeah, one less than ten. Thank you. People go crazy over little things like that, so they have an excuse not to fight with the important things. And see, that brings us to our text. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Let's just take a moment to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask you as we step into the words that you have given us, that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to peel back the levels of ignorance and deception that we could clearly see and understand your word today. And Lord that you would cause us to make decisions of faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Paul is writing to the Ephesian church here in verse 18 of chapter 1, the first thing he says is, I want the eyes 
of your understanding to be enlightened. Now, enlightenment is a word that people have talked about down through the ages. And everybody wants to be enlightened. Uh, probably the most famous story of false enlightenment is the emperor's new clothes. How many remember that story? Where the emperor was tricked by the devious tailor into believing that he was weaving invisible cloth and actually walked down at the head of his parade without anything on until some little boy said, He doesn't have no clothes on. And then the emperor was embarrassed, but the tailor had gotten away with all the king's money. It's going to be much more tragic when someone claims enlightenment before the throne of God, only to find out that God labels their enlightenment blasphemy and condemns them to eternal punishment. We, we live in a society. How many of you remember when our present administration came into power? Uh, there was all of this talk of the smartest man in the room. I mean, the man who ran our economy. He was the smartest man in the room, but he couldn't even figure out how to file his own income taxes properly. And the man that was the head of the Department of Justice, he was the smartest man in the room. He understood so much about how things ought to be done. And how many cover-ups have we had since he went into office? And they've all resigned and sought other things since this point. But how many of you are tired of the smartest man in the room making decisions for you? It's like a little joke my kids often tell. I'm sure you've heard it of the four people on the, on the plane and uh, they're going to wreck and they only have enough parachutes for three people and the smartest man in the world jumps out with the little boy's knapsack, right? And uh, so everybody's got parachutes now. A uh, little joke that they tell. But Paul is writing here and he says, I want the eyes of your understanding to be enlightened, that you can understand, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. How many of you have ever contemplated the calling of God in your life? Now, I stand before you today as a pastor. And I believe that I was called of God to fulfill this position. When I was 16 years old, I can't explain the whole thing, but I just, I said, I went to my preacher at that time. I went forward and prayed at the church. The preacher said, if anybody here wants to become a preacher, just come and dedicate your life to the Lord. And I said, okay, Lord, I'll surrender. I'll be a preacher. And I went to my pastor and I said, now, you know, there's a guy in our church and you wouldn't know who he was, but he had six months before that had said he was called to preach and then ended up being a computer software generator or something like that. I don't even think he ended up being that. And I said, how do I know I'm called to preach? And he said, well, why don't you just give the Lord a little bit of time? 
He says, you just get busy serving the Lord where you're at. He said, and if God's actually called you to be a preacher, he says, you won't want to do anything else. And so I did. And the Lord did. And instead of going into the Marine Corps, I went into the Bible college. And my little joke has always been, I think both have benefited from that decision, both the Marine Corps and myself, uh, because that's not where I belonged. You see, the Lord has a calling for specific people to serve in specific places. You get to that in chapter 4. But he also has a calling for every person that professes faith in Jesus Christ. Read Revelations chapter 1. Read Revelation chapter 5. It says that in Revelation 5, he has made us kings and priests unto our God. That's an amazing calling, is it not? That is something, and it goes on to say here, that we can know the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Now, I'm glad I don't attend a church that believes that only certain extremely gifted people are saints. If you just read your Bible, that is a term that is applied to every person that professes faith in Jesus Christ. Someone said, well, I, I just believe in praying to the, to the saints because they're so good people. And there's part of me, a little smart aleck that I am at times, said, well, I'm a saint. Are you going to pray to me? It won't do you any good, I'll promise you that. But you see, we're all saints according to the Scripture. And He has got some things planned for the saints that are simply beyond human comprehension. I mean, the New Jerusalem, they paved the streets with gold. But it's not just gold. The Bible says it's gold like unto transparent glass. I, I can't explain it, but somebody told me that the gold that we have, even our 99.999% gold, still has quite a bit of impurity in it. And that if you could really purify gold in its most pure form, it's almost like glass. Oh, okay. Well, the Bible said that long before you did, so I'll just believe what the Bible says. It says that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Now, you want to talk about this exceeding greatness of his power. We, we live in a world that is controlled by addiction, is it not? I mean, everything is going on. I mean, we have people in politics who are addicted to power. 
What would make a man like Mr. Bloomberg spend an average of $120 a vote to get a third office as mayor of New York City when the charter of the city expressly forbid a third office? So they altered it. So he, I mean, how much money did this man spend? How many arms did he twist and pay off so that he could just get one more term in office? He's one of the richest men in the world. What was it all about? Could I challenge you? There's an addiction to power. There's an addiction to all of these things in our world. And here's the exceeding greatness of God's power. I don't have to be controlled by that. Amen? I don't have to be controlled by what goes on in this world. I don't have to chase what everybody else is chasing. Oh, I wish I had a dollar for every person that said, Well, all I want is a good life. Hey, let me tell you, if you want a good life, you'll find it in Jesus Christ. Nowhere else. You can't find it. This is His power. This is His power in us. And what it says, the mighty working of His power, that He could take me, a soul, on my way to hell and make me on my way to heaven. How much more power do you want than that? And it talks about how that He raised up Christ from the dead, far above all principality, and hath put all things under His feet, and gave Him to be head over all things, and all of a sudden then comes the church in this picture. This morning, my first point is, you've got to choose church. Down through the ages, this thing called church, it's an amazing study. Do you realize that at the time of Paul's death, we believe under the Emperor Nero in the early 60s A.D., that to be a Christian was almost a death sentence. And that over the next 240-some, 50-some years, the Rome would send, the mightiest power on earth would send its armies into cities, killing every man, woman, and child because they refused to do Worship to the emperor. They said, we will only worship Jesus Christ. They tell the story of the Roman legion that the majority of, uh, that had uh, a, a group of 40 soldiers who were Christians among the Roman legions. The emperor then was Diocletian, the, the man that hated Christians more than any other person in history, as far as we understand. And he had given the order through the Roman army that every soldier was to line up and burn incense to the Caesar. These men were on the northern borders. 
trying to hold back the barbarians. And 40 of them were sentenced to march naked on a lake of ice until they froze to death. If they would not offer incense to Caesar. When Constantine was fighting for power against the other would-be emperors of the Roman Empire, he began to find out that many of his men were Christians. And he decided to feign, he really never did, a belief in Jesus Christ to marshal the religious fervor of those who followed him so that he could win the victory and become the emperor. Now, I want to challenge you with something. Here's a church 250 years before that met in caves, in synagogues, under the penalty of death both from the Jews and from the Gentiles of their world, And in 312, we have the emperor of the Roman Empire professing faith in Jesus and beginning to hold councils on how the new church ought to behave in the Roman Empire. Could I challenge you that that's that's a story without precedent in all of history? Now, of course, church history is very confusing because people always write history with what they want to have happen happen. And many of the churches that were true churches were at first sucked into this thing and, and brought in uh, because of the promise of no more persecution. I mean, if you had to watch your family be murdered for the cause of Christ and now you had a chance to have freedom and worship Christ, you'd probably grab it, wouldn't you? But they soon found out that the freedom that Constantine offered and the religion that Constantine offered was not Jesus' church. And it wasn't too long before the heretics began to appear in history again. And they began to be hunted down. And eventually, the Roman Catholic system emerged out of this. And we have the great horrors of the Inquisition in the Middle Ages. You see, the question I have to ask is if it's Jesus' church and someone else is in charge of it, how can it be Jesus' church? Of course, if you're around here very long, you know the answer to that question. It ain't. It cannot be. I remember one time a man was rather indignant. He says, I want to talk to your boss. He said, I I don't think you're being responsible as a pastor of this church, and I'm going to report you to your superiors. He said, be my guest. Get on your knees. He said, I said, I have no superior on earth. I said, our church is responsible directly to Jesus Christ. 
He said, that can't be. I said, it is. That's been the history of the true church of Jesus since Matthew chapter 16. And I can challenge you that Jesus' church has never fought a war for religion because we don't have to. In fact, you read in the book of Revelation, there's going to be a war fought, the greatest of all history, the battle of Armageddon. And behind Jesus are going to be his armies. And guess how much fighting his armies are going to do? Not a bit. Jesus does not need our help to be Jesus. You see, we took care of that with faith in Jesus. But Jesus wants one thing. The church is important. The church is central to your relationship with God. But the church does not give you salvation. Any organization that pretends to offer you salvation or threatens to take it away, you don't have to worry about it because it's not Bible. Only Jesus can give salvation and He has promised He'll never take it away. But see, once you get saved, God wants your understanding to be enlightened. He wants you to understand the great work that it took to get you saved. And here it says that He wants all things under His feet, Jesus' feet, to be head over all things which is the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. It says the church is his body. Now, there's a lot of talk about this. The word Catholic means universal. Uh, Their claim has always been to be the universal, visible body of Christ on earth. But, uh, again, let's go back to the first question. If Jesus isn't in charge, how is it his body? So, therefore, we, we ignore that claim as being totally ungrounded by the Word of God. Well, the Protestants, in order to fight the Catholics in the great debates, came up with this idea that the church was an invisible universal body. That it was everywhere, but no one could see it. Well, can I challenge you? There's no such thing as an invisible universal anything. It doesn't make sense. But if you'll study your Bible, you'll find out that the church is a visible, local assembly. You see, if there were this universal relationship that they talk about as one church, and we'll get on to this in just a second. I'm trying not to be too tedious this morning, but we've got to get this choosing church because it's important. You see... then it would be my responsibility as a part of this body to solve and to regulate problems that go on in other churches, would it not? If we're all part of this universal invisible body and this person over here claims to be a part of the same body and teaches false doctrine 
then we would have a responsibility to go over and straighten this guy out because he will affect the whole body. Just like if you get a tumor in one little part of your body, are you not going to go to the doctor and get that thing taken care of? I would hope that you would. Because if you don't, it will spread and cause disease. And Jesus said that his church would never be prevailed against. That it would always exist. And so we would have to be so busy trying to straighten things out. God never intended that to be. Because the responsibility ends with those doors right there. It's our members. That's where our responsibility is. A body is an assemblage. Uh, scientists now tell us, I, I remember the number when I was in school of, of 10 million cells in your body. Or 10, or 10 billion, now it's 10 trillion. I mean, they just keep, maybe they found new cells, maybe we all got bigger, I don't know. Uh, but your body is an assembly of a multitude of parts. But what makes it a body is that they're all attached to each other. And that they work together. Christ is the head. Every one of us have a job to serve Jesus Christ. You see, unity comes in the church when you serve Jesus Christ. And if there's disunity in a church, it's because somebody isn't serving the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, all, that's, that's the long and the short of it. You see, if I can just bring a little history in at this point, this is why we believe in what's called a regenerate church membership. How many of you have heard of the Methodist Church. John Charles Wesley. Do you know why John and Charles Wesley developed what became the Methodist Church? It's because in the Church of England, of which they were both ordained ministers, they began to look around them and they had actually traveled into Europe and heard the preaching of the Moravians, who were early Anabaptist people who believed in salvation by grace through faith, and they got saved. And they came back to England and they began telling the preachers and everybody around them what it meant to be saved. And they got this blank stare. And they said God had called them to bring salvation to Christ's church. Now, how many of you see something wrong with that statement? Hello? Only one? If it's supposed to be Jesus' church worshiping Him and they're all unsaved, how can it be Jesus' church? Would it be possible that maybe we're mistaken about what Jesus' church really is there? The Wesleys were anyway. I would think so. You see, one of the historical um, markers of the true church of Jesus Christ has been, you don't come to church to get saved. You've got to get saved before you come to church. Now, you can attend services, but we're talking about being a member. This is called a regenerate church membership. How can you serve Christ if you're not His? 
How can you be put into his body if you're not his child? See, this is how simple it is. And to give a public testimony of that inward faith in Christ, you know what the Bible has for us? It's called baptism. Baptism by immersion under the authority of a local church for believers only. Do you know that those two doctrines, if we add to that the doctrine of salvation, which you have to have before you get there, otherwise you can't be a regenerate church membership, a church member if you're not saved, do you know that those, those three little doctrines right there separate our church from almost every other kind of church that's in existence today? You see, God had designed His church to bring glory to His Son. And the way He designed that church to work is that I have to choose the Bible... I have to choose to believe what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. And that will bring me face to face with the local church because you cannot serve Christ biblically without being a member and serving Him through a local church. The leadership in the church is very simple. Study your Bible. It's a pastor. is a leader. And I've, I've had people over the years, they say, well... Did you know that the early church had a multiplicity of elders? Oh, yeah, we have a multiplicity of elders. We got two of us right now. Amen. Uh, we got pastor and assistant pastor. That's a multiplicity of elders. But you know what? This idea that someone sits down with a council of people and they all decide together. That only works when one person has already chosen every member of the council. Could I challenge you on that? That that there has to be leadership. You read Acts chapter 15 when they were having a dispute. Who was the one that stood up and solved the problem and stopped the argument? Does anybody remember? How many think it was Peter? Good. No hands are up. How many know it was James? Who wasn't even... The Apostle James, he was the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was the pastor of the church of Jerusalem at the time. You read Acts chapter 15, he's the one and stood up, and what he used for his authority was not himself or his position. He said, this is what the Scripture says. They agree with the Bible, therefore we have no right to argue about this thing. And all God's people said, you see, that's how simple it works. The local church directly responsible to Jesus Christ. You say, well, what about all the churches? I had one guy, he said, well, he says, you believe in one head with all these little bodies hanging off of it. I said, I do not. I said, that's your excuse for not being willing, and he wasn't, to change some things in your life to become a member of this church. That's what the problem is. I said, here's how it works. You see, one day in heaven, there will be one church assembled. 
But we've already dealt with the issue of local, have we not? Because it's in heaven. The only problem is it's not there yet because some of us are still down here. You can't have the church in heaven on earth. And until we get there, each individual church is complete in Jesus Christ as if it were the only church that existed. Jesus treats every one of them exactly the same way. Are, are we still together? You've got to think about that for a minute. And yet, if I am serving Christ and Open Door Bible Baptist Church is serving Christ, guess what? Our church and about 450 others just like it make Heartland Baptist Bible College work. You have a fellowship of churches. Yes, we do. It's called the Friends of Heartland. And what we do as this fellowship of churches is we choose different pastors and and praise the Lord. uh, Right now, I am one of them that sit on a board of directors that give direction to the administration of of Heartland Baptist Bible College. We work together as independent Baptist churches and yet never once, and I've told this story before, and, and I use this as an illustration of how the Bible works without a controlling entity. When Brother Copes, who's the executive vice president, and then uh, Brother Worsham, the head of the Bible department, Brother Burgett in charge of the missions department, I mean, this is a huge part of the administration of the school. They came here to our church to, to work with us for a week, and Brother Copes walks in, and he said, Now, I want you to understand something, Brother Montoro. And I said, Oh, boy, here we go. He says, We're here to serve you. We believe in the local church. We are under your direction because you're the pastor of the church. I'm sitting here going, wow, that's strangely biblical, isn't it? And the college still practices that way. You see, when you choose church, you choose the Bible. You choose to put yourself under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that mean you're going to agree with everything that happens? No. But can I say this very plainly? When you've got a problem in your local church, it's your responsibility to get it straightened out. Because you're a part of the body. And you're responsible directly to Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? That's how it's supposed to work. And see, that leads us to the last point. And I'm sure I could preach a whole sermon on this, but I want you to just turn over one page. Ephesians chapter 3, and this is Paul's prayer. Paul says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth 
and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory where? In the church, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, and all God's people said, Amen. You see, this is Paul's prayer right in the middle of the book of Ephesians here. And he's taking this same theme, and I want you to understand one thing. The Bible, I can give you enough reasons to believe that this book is God's Word, that we could be here till next Sunday morning without a stop. But it won't do you a bit of good to have all the reasons unless you choose by faith to believe that this is God's Word. I'll tell you what, I have pled with men and women for their souls over the years. And yet my pleading doesn't get them saved. It's a choice that they must make individually. I can't tell you how many people who are saved that I have talked to and said, listen, you need to understand the doctrine of the local church. It's Bible. You cannot be obedient to Christ without being right with a local church and an assembly of believers. And if you're not, you've got to get that thing straightened out. Because if you don't, it's going to hurt your relationship with God. And we come here. And if you want to talk, name this or categorize this, I'm talking about life goals. I'm talking about your purpose in life. Paul is praying here that you would be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man that you could know, that you could comprehend love. Rooted and grounded in love. How many of you have ever felt unlovely or unloving toward another human being? Could you raise your hand there? Just be honest. Okay? If your hand's not up, it's because you're not being honest. Because we've all felt that way. And what is the cure? The cure is the Holy Spirit of God overcoming our nature by His nature. Amen? And you see, that allows us to comprehend the greatness of God. That's what heaven's going to be about. It's going to take an eternity for us to proclaim the height, the depth, the width, the breadth of God's love. But how's that supposed to happen? He's supposed to be glorified in the church. See, most people want to start with that last one. I want to bring glory to God. I understand that that's, that is the purpose of, of my being part of God's creation is to bring glory to Him. And I want to glorify God. And I'll tell you what, you can't glorify God in this life, in this time, unless you do it in His church. And when we get to heaven, that's how we're going to do it.
You see, if we're going to serve Christ, we have to serve Him His way. And that way is being a part of His body and serving Him in His church. We don't make a big deal about membership here. I remember someone took a track and says, oh, oh, I see, the doors are open as long as you're a Baptist. I said, no, no, that's not true. I said, the doors are open to anyone. We do not restrict anyone from attending the services of our church. But if you're going to be a member, would it be asking too much that you agree with us? And she smiled and said, I get it now. I said, okay, good. You see, if you had a part of your body that doesn't agree with the rest of it, this was a big thing with organ transplants. Do you know that if you don't have a perfect match with a transplant, and even sometimes if you do, your body will judge that thing, an invader, and begin to attack it. It's called organ rejection. And it's actually much more dangerous than the original surgery was, even if it's open heart surgery. Uh, the, The rejection is a much more serious medical process to deal with than even the original transplant operation was. But you see, that's what the Holy Spirit of God does. I mean, I, I hear the reports, listen to the news, try to keep up with what's going on. And I always just groan in my inner spirit when they start talking about United Nations Week and all the things that the United Nations has done. And but I always smile because... When I stand in my pulpit and look out over the congregation, we have United Nations right here. Peoples who used to be at war with one another are sitting here in perfect love and harmony. You know why? Because the Spirit of God is making us fit together. And you know what? There's been some bumps on the road. But when we choose Christ... And we choose his church. He makes it work so he can get glory through his church. And all God's people said, you have to choose. But if you choose, there's going to be things that you'll have to do unless your choice was not really a choice. You choose the Bible, you got to get saved. Either that or reject the Bible, one of the two. You get saved, guess what? You got to choose the church or you got to change the words in the Bible. Uh, you choose the church God's going to choose your life goals for you because he will use you to bring glory to him through his church.
And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, we ask that we would not glorify our choice, but we would glorify the God that has given us that choice. Lord, that we would not glorify our will, but we would glorify and understand your great love. And Lord, we ask that you would work in our midst that we may bring glory to you through this church. That you would give us a testimony as a church of things done here that only you could take credit for. Or we have that in our past. We want that even more in our future. We ask that you would help us to make those choices. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as Andrew comes to lead in the hymn of invitation. If you're here.